Hello, hello. Welcome back to Leading Women in Tech. It's your host, Tony Collis here, a leadership guru, woman in tech aficionado, and all around just passionate about making the world a better place through having better technology leadership in the form of helping every single woman that listens to this podcast up level. Today, I want to talk a little bit about crisis management. In particular, rather than just normal crisis management, which we have talked about before in the podcast, I want to talk about what to do when you inherit a crisis. A few episodes ago, I think episode 174 to be precise, I talked about what happens when you inherit a poor performer and the steps to take once you find out that you have a poor performer. So you bring this team member up to expected standards or how to identify that's not, it's not possible. The ability to lead your team as individuals and getting them working like a well-oiled machine, such as when you inherit an underperformer, is what we often view as the core of leadership. But there are many other pieces which are often forgotten until they're urgently needed. And today I want to focus on one of those critically important tools, crisis management, and specifically what to do when you inherit a crisis rather than just manifesting around you. Welcome to the Leading Women in Tech podcast, the show that celebrates women in technology leadership. I'm your host, Tony Collis, and this podcast is the result of my passion for building better tech by diversifying the leadership of the technology sector. Join me on this journey as I discuss all things leadership, what it takes to be innovative, breaking through the glass ceiling, be a great leader, and how to navigate the unique experiences we face as women in tech. So sit back, grab your headphones, and get ready to be inspired to become a better leader. Along with inheriting a poor performer, It is inevitable that at some point in your career, if you are a leader for more than a couple of years, you will inherit a crisis. Sorry to burst your bubble if you didn't think that was true. It might be that you join a new team, you get a promotion, company restructure, but at some point you will find yourself inheriting a mess. It happens more often than you might think. Often new hires or reorgs are made precisely because something is very, very wrong. You don't do those things as everything's working really well. If things are running smoothly, people are happy, no one leaves, no one new is needed. What you might inherit will vary widely and depends on your specific skill set and role. So I'm not going to list out like the kind of thing you might be looking out for, but it could be financial, could be PR, might be a sudden plummet in market share. Any situation that threatens your organization's existence is the crisis we're talking about here. The success of crisis management is dependent on how you lead yourself and your team through the crisis, either handling the crisis well and fostering growth within your team, or in effectively dealing with the crisis, which can lead your team and company ultimately to failure. Crisis management isn't about fighting the immediate challenges that are in front of you. It's also about starting to align yourself with the values and goals of your organization. Remember, this is one of the differences between having a crisis that's unfolding around you and inheriting a crisis. One of the things you're doing at the same time, if you've inherited something, is aligning yourself with this organization. You've got to do that alongside managing this crisis in a way that's with the values and goals of the organization, which you might not know at this point. So what do you do? How do you handle inheriting a crisis? Well, let's begin by defining what we mean by crisis in the business context. Crises can take many forms and understanding the nature of the crisis in front of you is the first step to solving it. From financial meltdowns to PR nightmares, we're talking about situations that will disrupt your organization's normal functioning. I've worked with clients who have walked into a full-blown talent exodus, heads of finance who have inherited a cash system that means nothing matches up with anything else. 
situations where the board is completely at odds with the executive and nothing can be agreed or where a company's clients are leaving in droves because the product is just not cutting it. The software product in this particular scenario I'm thinking of was falling apart because there was no investment in the long-term software architecture. And you need to know, whatever you inherit, you need to know where best to throw your talent all in. Name it. I've probably coached someone to deal with it, but you've got to figure out what it is that you've inherited. There might be a surface level issue that you are told about, maybe an interview, if this is a new role. Or I've had people move through a different part of a business to solve a crisis. And they've been told one thing. And actually, when you dig in, it's something else. But all too often, and particularly with many of the clients I've worked with, when they've identified the crisis, it's not something that anybody knew about. It was not mentioned Maybe there was an understanding that something wasn't right. That's why they've been brought in. Maybe the hiring process told them something wasn't working, but nobody's honest and open about it. Maybe somebody had left and it's kind of a hint that something's really wrong. And then they start digging and it's a hot, hot, hot mess, but nobody knew. So how do you diagnose something like this? The understanding of what constitutes a crisis is multifaceted. It depends on various factors, such as the industry you operate in, the size of your organization, and even the current socio-political and climate. Just like you're not jumping to conclusions or listening to rumors when you inherit a poor performer, you should not try to jump to conclusions about the crisis you've just been handed or you see unfolding beneath you even though nobody told you it was there. Similarly, don't assume there isn't a crisis. There is a reason why you've been put into this role. More often than not, it is a crisis or at least a mini crisis. More often than people like to admit, but you always get put into roles because of growth or to replace someone who retired or left for neutral reasons instead of something being a hot mess. Don't assume the worst, but be ready for whatever that comes your way. It's really, really important. And I don't want this to put you off taking on new roles. This is part of the challenge for us as leaders. And it can be a beautiful piece of work that we do because not all crises are really, really, really toxic and bad. A few are. And if you're in your career for long enough, you may well come across one of those. But a lot of them are things that just need to be dealt with in a really conscientious way. More than anything, seek to understand the situation with empathy and without judgment. That is so incredibly important. Take the time to speak to everyone involved and get their viewpoint. Some people won't believe there is even an issue. Others will be pulling their metaphorical hair out. Your job is to get to the bottom of the perceived crisis as quickly as possible. Once you understand what the crisis is, you're then able to assess the impact it has. You'll want to gather information and feedback from your team, your boss, anyone else in close proximity to the crisis. This will help you find the root cause and what you need to do to actually solve the issues. More often than not, though, the response to a crisis is about initial triage, followed by a longer term diagnosis and fix of what enabled the crisis to emerge in the first place. You don't want to just triage and not stop it happening again. You want to do both things. Here's the caveat with this, though. Most of us have a tendency to veer to either immediate action or that long-term fix. <laughs> and I'm very much an initial triage person. I see a hot mess. I'm like, boom, 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 let's fix this. But I've worked with clients who've been criticized for spending too many cycles trying to fix a deeper issue while the immediate concern is still causing problems. They're digging into the underlying causes and it's causing angst with their team who want to get on and tackle the actual issue. So you need to identify your natural tendency because you will have one, you're human. Most of us don't sit in the middle on anything. We always have one end or the other. <laughs> your goal is to come to the middle. 
So make sure you understand, are you the immediate triage person like me? Or are you the person that's always looking longer term and wanting to dig into the root cause at the expense potentially of not doing that initial triage? Figure out who you naturally are. If you don't know, ask some trusted colleagues what they see you focus on the most. Make sure that you then address your area of natural weakness to compensate for that natural desire to solve the problem the way you want to solve it. One of the best ways to do this is to build in time to recap and think through what you are learning. When the crises are fast paced and need to be solved today, this can be hard to do. But ask for five minutes to go through your notes on what you've just learned before making a decision and make sure you accommodate your area of weakness as you do that, as you go through your notes and thoughts. Avoid making snap decisions when you are new in a role, even if it just means a five-minute pause. Unless you're a medical doctor working in emergencies, there are very, very few situations where five minutes is going to damage things significantly, but could instead mean you make a better decision. If the crisis is a slower, though still urgent and important one, such as many of the examples I provided above from foiling architecture, clients leaving because unsatisfactory products or finance problem, Take the time to have at least an hour a day to go through everything you've identified that is an issue. Ask yourself what needs further clarification and who might you ask to get that information. Focus on both the information you need for the short-term triage solutions, as well as the data you need to capture the, and solve the problem long-term. I find there is overlap, but there are also differences, and you will need to identify both of these early in discussions. As memories do change, ideas evolve the further away from an instant people get. As you do this, you'll inevitably be building rapport with your team. You're going to be having conversations with them about the situation. This is where inheriting a crisis is more challenging than a crisis happening around you in a well-established role. If you've inherited a crisis because you've taken on a new role, even when it's an internal shift, the team might know you, but there's a change in dynamic and you need to be working on all the transitional stuff that first 90 days alongside handling this crisis. It can be very easy to go in ideas and innovations blazing to solve the immediate issue, but at the cost of those crucial relationships. So slow down and engage in one-on-one conversations to hear your team's perspective and learn about their backgrounds, their past roles, and what they envision for the future. Do the same with your new peers. They have a lot to offer about this crisis that your team aren't able to see. This insight helps you comprehend why there was a perceived crisis and tease apart where there is a difference of perspective on what is and isn't a crisis, because that's a real thing. (laughs) Be aware that in many, many cases, an inherited crisis is caused because of lack of support in some way, a lack of support, guidance, or clarity from the previous leadership. Sometimes that manifests in not investing in something crucial. It could be that your team hasn't had enough person power to do the necessary work. The team is therefore burnt out while the product fails. It could be that someone has been quietly advocating for a change in a process or policy and nothing was done More often than not, someone will have at least claimed to have predicted what is happening. The danger is what happens next and the damage that can be done by how you handle such comments or rumors. By establishing open lines of communication and showing your empathy and compassion, while not just agreeing wholeheartedly with, oh my God, yes, of course this should have been done five years ago, you may well ignite the spark of motivation. If you can have that backwards and forwards dialogue, provide the openness that they've been craving and potentially was the cause of the crisis in the first place was the lack of that backwards and forwards communication. When you do that, you are going to help them resolve perceived issues. You're going to help the team feel motivated to resolve them themselves. 
Now that you have information and understanding though of what's going on, the next step is to take that action, to do that initial triage action. If you discover what the crisis is due to misunderstandings or maybe because of breakdown of communication, work on that effective communication. If it's a lack of operational investment, you likely need to go and do some work to fix that, fix the misunderstanding that led to that lack of operational investment. Even crisis related PR and customers more often than not come down to some form of ineffective communication at some point previously. So have transparent and authentic, that good old word, authentic (laughs) communication with your team. Talk about the facts of what has gone wrong. Stick with facts. It's very easy to go to feelings, how we're all feeling about a situation. But in a crisis, stick to facts. Talk about any plans and crucially, your expectations of what is going to be put in place to resolve the crisis. This is very key. As you move through the crisis, there has to be an open and candid set of communications about how each person is going to take responsibility for fixing a situation. Who will take on what and what timescales are involved and expected. This may well be your first foray into that kind of expectation setting with this particular team if you've inherited them. And it's crucial that for you, you are fair, you're calm, you're open, but you set very clear lines where there is no misunderstanding. It's easy in this situation to fall either into the people-pleasing mode where you start being less than clear on what is needed because you don't want to ruffle feathers, you backtrack a little bit, and you're a little bit vague because of your people-pleasing, right? We've all done that. If you're a people-pleaser, we tend to be a little bit vague when somebody in front of us is not happy, and therefore people don't actually know what's required of you, or you might give two bits of information that are different to two different people. Like, that happens. It's one of the traps I've fallen into. But the other trap is how we can sometimes fall into this operational mode of do, do, do without regard for people and emotions because of this urgency around the crisis. It's fascinating to me now as a coach that despite my need to people please, which is most of the time so dominant in who I am, in my identity, I'm a recovering people pleaser even today. But in almost every crisis situation, I turn into this dictator. It's very odd to me sitting now to one side of myself as a coach and observing that. What we want is a blend between the two. You need empathy, you need openness, you need compassionateness, which can, in the worst situation, fall into people-pleasing. But they also need to know clearly what is expected, the timescales, where, when, and how. And it's not a democracy. You do get to dictate within parameters what is required. This is your first a most important opportunity to demonstrate how you expect everyone in the team to operate with you and each other. It's kind of daunting when you think about it like that, but this is one to really put the time and effort in to get right. Your organization may also have new priorities and these priorities often are part of the thing that's either causing the crisis or the change in priorities is a result of the crisis. And part of what you need to therefore do is communicate that transparently and allow for feedback from your team Share thoughts on the direction of your organization and allow them to feed it back up again. Having these shared conversations that result in shared goals is a powerful way to pull everybody together out of crisis mode. It can give your team a sense of ownership and accountability instead of that fear of everything going wrong all the time. Once you get your team on board with new priorities, shifting gears, what you're expecting from them to solve this problem, you then have to follow through and meet with your team regularly to see how these priorities are progressing. And this is where it is crucial, in my opinion, with whatever crisis you have, whether you've inherited it or you've been there a while, 
I like to have dedicated crisis meetings. I wouldn't call them that. I would call them whatever the project is that's fixing the situation. But don't make this part of your team meetings or your one-on-ones. They need to realize this is a ruthless priority and therefore it's having its own separate thing on the side. As you continue to see steady improvement, now comes the challenging part, tracking the progress towards the end goal for this crisis to be resolved. You should continue to commit to your follow-up meetings, respecting their importance. Do not cancel or delay them because that erodes the trust with your team. And remember, because you're in this transition phase, you're also trying to build this trust as well. So you might have the ability to avoid at the odd meeting if you'd been in this role for a year and you had that trust in place. It is paramount that you hold your meetings or at least give somebody else responsibility for holding them if you can't attend. And it has to be a rare thing for you not to attend in this kind of situation. These sessions are when you then dive into the progress, the challenges, how they're going to meet their goals, what's holding them up. You always want to be asking the question, what do you need from me to unstick this situation? What do you need from me to meet your goals this week? And then document, document, document. (laughs) You are going to gather data as part of this how your team operates, how they work with each other, their strengths, their weaknesses, as well as other areas in the business that are a problem are going to come out in these meetings. So document meticulously and act swiftly to address any other things that are coming up, including training, resources that are needed for your team. Your goal here is to use this as part of your transitioning learning process. Hopefully, if you and your team have been committed to these priorities of resolving this crisis, these follow-up meetings are going to start seeing rapid improvement. There's going to be improvement in the KPIs, maybe how your team is working together. And although you're going to be looking for the crisis to be resolved, you may also notice that your team, which was once more, is now lighter and livelier. However, if things are persisting or get worse, you might need to make some difficult choices. Perhaps your expectations were too ambitious. Perhaps your team is not the right one. Perhaps you need to recalibrate your plan for success. In the rarest of situations, you might have to take a drastic course of action, such as restructuring, personal changes. It's always a tough and painful situation to go through, but sometimes it's necessary to preserve the well-being and productivity of the team. So don't shy away from that if you realize that is the only route forward. In the midst of a crisis, it's also worth remembering it's very easy to be focused on the numbers, metrics, and strategies. I think this is where my brain goes and why I stop people-pleasing in this situation. It's really important to not lose sight of the people. Your company is your people, not the product, not the dollars. It is the people. Don't get me wrong, the product and the dollars matter, but ultimately your company is because of your people. As a leader, you're not just navigating numbers and processes. You're leading a group of individuals with their unique fears, concerns, and emotions through this situation. You need to lead with empathy. You need to Understand that this situation is taking an emotional toll on the team in front of you. You need to practice active listening. You need to encourage open dialogue. You need to provide a safe space for your team to express their feelings and fears where you don't get defensive, by the way. (laughs) This is not only about fostering trust, but about having that dialogue so you identify issues promptly. Because if you have that safe space, your team is more likely to tell you things that they don't tell other people. Don't underestimate the power of your presence in the room, even if it's a virtual room. Your team looks to you for guidance and reassurance. So you want to be visible. You want to be accessible. You want to be approachable. You want to have a calm demeanor and show compassion. You want to be that source of inspiration during a time of uncertainty. 
Being resilient and adaptable are qualities that you as a leader must embody. And as you do that, you're going to encourage them in your team as well. Show them that adversity can be an opportunity for growth and transformation. I remember a mentor of mine showing me how she dealt with crises. We were involved in a crisis together. I didn't work with her directly. It was very indirect. But I saw her just glide through this crisis. She never lost her cool. She always came across as calm and thoughtful, even in the most difficult meetings. And I thought to myself, everybody around her just gravitates towards her because she's so calm when everything else in the organization was tense and painful. And I thought, that's the kind of person I want to be in that situation. I don't think I'm there yet. <laughs> quite, And not that calm in that kind of situation. But it really spoke to me about the power of somebody who encourages that trust and patience, even in the most difficult of situations. Start by keeping your team well-informed. Make sure your team has regular updates to reduce anxiety. Share the facts, share the situation, share outcomes, even if they're not directly involved. This is all going to help bring down the anxiety in your team, which is going to boost their productivity, by the way. If you've ever been in an organization where layoffs are coming, you know productivity drops. So do everything you can to demonstrate to your team that you're moving through this crisis. Even if a riff is not on the horizon, there's anxiety when we're going through a crisis. So demonstrate and discuss the changes that are happening on a regular basis. Quarterly is not sufficient. Be honest. Honesty is definitely the best policy. Be candid about the challenges, the setbacks that the company is facing. Authenticity is going to resonate with the team. So forge that strong connection, reinforce the trust by being honest and truthful. And be two-way in this communication. As I said, provide space for concerns, ideas, feedback. Then you want to act on the valuable stuff, but make sure that your team knows that you're listening to them. Leverage face-to-face communications, leverage one-to-one communications. Make sure that as much as you can, you over-communicate rather than under-communicate. It's always going to be better to say things three times than never. Remember that most people don't hear things when you only say it once. Then as the crisis begins to resolve, because it will do, you've been through a crisis before, it's going to get better. (laughs) Don't rush into business as usual. This is pivotal time to reflect, recover, and learn from this experience. Start by looking through things. What went well? What didn't? What can we do differently next time? Invite your team to participate in this reflection. This is going to give you a comprehensive and invaluable set of information to avoid future crises. Celebrate the victories along the way. You know I love to celebrate. Acknowledge the resilience and adaptability your team gave. Recognize the hard work they've done. Boost morale by showing everybody how proud you are of them. And more to the point, celebrate coming out of the crisis. I think all too often we just kind of go, phew, that's done. Celebrate coming out of the crisis. Your team worked hard for this. Celebrate with them. And that's just going to give you an additional boost in morale, which turns into productivity. So I honestly, it's kind of selfish, but (laughs) celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. Finally, remember that crises aren't a one-time thing. This is an ongoing journey. You want a culture of continuous learning and preparedness. You want your team to remain vigilant, adaptable, and always be ready to navigate any future storm that comes their way. Remember that navigating a crisis is a key part of your job as a leader. The simple stuff is what's handled by those below you. You are the one that's going to be dealing with the tricky things. Celebrate the success you have by this next crisis that you inherit. 
and remember every lesson you learn along the way. Keep in mind that this is an opportunity for you to grow and be more resilient and identify where you need to uplevel yourself as a leader as well. That's it for today's episode. As always, I would greatly appreciate it if you don't already share this episode with somebody that you think would benefit from hearing it. And if you are following us on any particular platform, please do hit like and subscribe. That just helps us find more people. Once again, as always, stay in your technician game, follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech.